0: Beautiful job. Julie and Stephanie, thank you. All of you involved. It was wonderful. It's good to see you. If you have your Bible, please go to the book of Isaiah. We're going to be in the book of Isaiah chapter 64. Isaiah chapter 64. Yesterday we we woke up and we're having a wonderful Saturday morning. We slept in and that doesn't happen very often at our house, and then we decided to go to Cracker Barrel and get some of those big uh, pancakes. Those are good. And they brought out this side of like the the fried apples you can put on top of the pancakes. If you've not tried that, you really should because they really take those pancakes to the next level. And we had that good, everything was good. I mean, it was a great morning. And then we went and picked up our groceries. You might do the Walmart grocery pickup. We love that. You just pull in, they load your car, you go home. It was amazing. Then a little bit after lunchtime, Brother Charles called and uh, told me that he's having a hard time catching his breath, and so uh, asked me if I would preach today, and of course I said, sure, I'd love to, but then when I hung up, my mind went, well, now what are you going to do? you know one of those times that i got to preach something but what's it going to be i've got lots i've been working on but nothing's complete or ready and so i went to my little office at the house and i'm flipping through my bible you ever just flip through trying to find something it's like god would something just glow for me give me something that just stands out and so i was i was flipping through and i came to a passage here in isaiah And I believe the Lord spoke to me in a a mighty way. And so this message may be just for me. may not be for you, but you're here, so you're going to listen to it. Um, And I'm glad you are. But the Lord really spoke to me. I think if our theology is not correct, it can be detrimental to the way that we live our lives. And so I read this verse. The whole sermon is built around Isaiah 64, verse 4. Let me read to you. Hopefully you have it in front of you. It says, from of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear, no eye has seen a God besides you, who acts for those who wait for him. There is no God like you. What do you do? You act or you work for those who wait upon you. Here's what I do wrong a lot of times in my life. I make it all about me about what I'm doing? And so as I got that phone call and I began to go in overdrive in my mind thinking, what am I going to do? I don't want to look like an idiot tomorrow. So what am I going to do? I have not prepared. And I'm, I'm one of those guys that I like to prepare. I like to have my outline, my manuscript, everything going. And so I'm scrambling thinking, what am I going to do on this? And then I read this first, and it's almost like a slap in the face that says, it's not about you. Your, your good is not good enough. Your your planning is not enough. There's nothing good in you. So why don't you just realize how good I am and wait on me and let me work through you? And, And here's what happens in life. For a lot of us, what we do is we work to please God. And we do this and we do that and we do the other. And we have this mindset that says, if I do enough, then I'm going to please God. If I'm a good enough person, then maybe God's going to love me. If I do all these activities, then everything is going to fall into place. And religion turns into more and more and more of what can I do. But the gospel message is not about what I can do, but it's about what God has already done. Religion says you've got to do this, but Jesus says I've already done this. Religion makes you a slave, but Jesus comes in and says, you are a son. Religion says, I'm putting you in bondage, but Jesus comes in to set us free. Religion makes us blind, but Jesus comes in to make us see. Religion is man searching for God, but the Bible says that Jesus came searching for us. Religion is based upon all these works that we try to please or we try to appease this distant God. But Christianity, it is based upon the works that God has done for us. And when I look through the Bible, especially in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I see that Jesus was often in opposition to the religious folks. Opposition to the ones who would gather on their day of worship. Why? Because their lips said the right thing, but their heart was far from God. Because they wanted the best seat at the banquet table. Because they wanted to walk around and have the good clothes on so people would look at them and say, oh, they're doing good in life. They wanted the respect, they wanted the honor, they wanted the prestige, but their heart was so distant from God. And so they were focused on the outside, but on the inside they were like dead man's bones. And there was no inward reality. I want you to think about your life. Do you know that God loves you? He loves you. Not just what you can do. Not what you can produce. Not what you can make. But God loves you. His love is not based upon you being here this morning. Now, I'm glad you're here. This would be awkward if it was just me and Brittany. I'm glad you're here. But but God does not love you more because you're here. There there are some folks in here this morning, and the only reason you came is because you feel obligated. You feel obligated. You feel like you've got to come and you've got to be in your spot because if you don't, God's going to love you less. And so you're here to try to earn the love of God. You may sing in the choir to try to earn the love of God. You might drive a bus to try to earn the love of God. And so it begins to be this work-based religion to where we do all of this stuff and we never stop and rest in the fact that God loves me. He is awesome. God loves me. He gave his son for me. Now, the difference in working out of obligation and working out of a sense of, of love and adoration the difference in those two is huge. Let me give you an example. I, I like to, when I don't have a, a lunch meeting or an obligation, I like to go and eat lunch with my wife. And so everything's changed with COVID. And so it used to be that I would bring her lunch and we'd go into a classroom, we'd eat together. Uh, she has like 25, 30 minutes and I'm a preacher, so I only work one day a week. And so I've got all this <laughs> flexible time, you know. And so I can just go, Darren Quinton on your head, I see that. So I can just go and, uh, but now we can't do that. And so we'll pack lunches. The night before, we'll pack two peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And we'll pack a couple bags of wheat thins with these little cheese slices that you can dip the cracker in. It's good. You ought to try it sometime. And then we'll get a bag of cookies. And then so I'll go through and I'll I'll go through Sonic and I'll get a Diet Coke with vanilla because that's what she likes. It's her favorite. I'll, I might go through the gas station and get a Kit-Kat bar or a bag of Skittles, her favorite candy. And then I'll pull up to the door at, at her time to come out, and she'll walk out with her little face mask on, get in the car. We'll pull in a parking spot, and we'll have about 20 minutes to eat our sandwich and our crackers and our cookies. And then I'll pull her back, and there she'll go back in the classroom. Can I just tell you, sometimes it's a hassle. I mean, just, sometimes it's a hassle to drive all the way to we'll go through Sonic— try to you know get her her favorite things i don't do it because i want her to love me more she doesn't expect it she's never once said hey i expect you to come eat lunch with me she's never said that do you know why i do it i do it because i love her i do it because i want to be with her there's no obligation there's nothing that makes me do it it's a heart that says you know what it's lunchtime i really would like to see my wife so let me go and see her here's the point that's how we ought to respond to god It's not that there are all these jobs that we have to do. I've got to go to church and I've got to give some money and I've got to go back on Sunday night and I've got to teach a class and I've got to sing a song and I've got to do all these things. It ought to be, Lord, I love you so much. I cannot wait to come into your house and sing your praises, hear from your word. I cannot wait to come back. I cannot wait to be involved in this ministry. I cannot wait to serve you. There's a difference in those two, and the difference will change your life. It will be totally revolutionary to the way that we live. Now, you're in chapter 64. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. Isaiah 64, verses 1 and 2. It says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. As when fire kindles brushwood, and the fire causes the water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. The people are crying out for the good old days. They're crying out for the time when God would come in and save them from their distress. But the problem is, God seems distant. It's as if God is withholding his presence At this point, their enemies seem to have the upper hand. And Isaiah is praying that God would come in and he would reveal himself and he would vindicate himself. And so he cries out and he says, God, I want to see you. I want to see your power. As fire burns through wood, I want to see your power. As the heat causes the water to boil, Lord, I want to see you. I want to experience you. I want to feel the power that you have. And if you really begin to look into the text, there's a pleading with God. Lord, would you please show up? I know you can do it. You've done it in the past, and I'm begging for you to please do it now. But yet God seems distant. I wonder, have you ever experienced that in your life? Have you ever had a time that you were pleading with God? Lord, would you please show up? Lord, would you please show me your power? I need you. And you pray, and you pray, and then you pray, and then you pray some more, but it seems like your prayers are stuck in the room. And you keep seeking after God, but he seems so distant. Why does God seem distant? Look at verse 5. It says, Behold, you are angry, and we sinned. And our sins we have been a long time. And shall we be saved? He says, Lord, you seem so distant. Why? Verse 5, we have sinned and we've been in our sin a long time. I believe that when we find that God is distant, most often it's not that God has abandoned us, but it's that we have left God. And instead of saying, God, where are you? Maybe we should say, God, here I am. I'm the one that left. God, here I am. I need you to come back into my life. Show me what you want out of me. And so that's what we see here in verse 5. He says, we've sinned, and not only have we sinned, but we have been in this sin a long time. And it continues in verse 3. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down and the mountains quaked at your presence From of old, no one has heard, no one has seen or perceived by the ear. No, eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. They say, we remember a time and we want this again. We remember the old thing that you did, but now we want something new. Have you been satisfied with what God has done? Are you satisfied just to think back of the glorious things that God has done? Or do you look for more? Are you excited about the future? You say, Case, it's COVID season. I, I don't care. God still is in the business of doing crazy cool things. Are you looking to the future? Do you say, man, I can't wait to see what God does here at Woodland Hills Baptist Church? Somebody better say amen. I'm about to lose it up here. <laughs> Goodness. Goodness. We remember the times of the past, and we want them again. And so he's calling on these things, and it's not a theoretical argument. It's not an inquiry of the mind. It's not something he's just pondering around. He's grabbing onto real-life experience, and he's saying, God, I have seen this. I know your power. I know your glory. I know you can do it, and I want to see you do this again. God, I know that you came down in a cloud, in a pillar of fire. I know that Mount Sinai was, was shaken by your mighty hand. I know there was an audible voice. There is proof in who you are. God, you are, you are faithful. God, you are fearful. You are terrifying. God, you are unique. And the question is, is there any other God like this? And the answer is no. There is no God like the God that we serve. Well, what makes him unique? I want you to see this. God works on our behalf. It says God is the one who acts for those who wait for him. My translation says acts, but the word could be translated he works or he does. So think about it. God works or God acts or God does for those who look for him, who trust in him, who give him the credit for working, rather than presuming that they are what God needs. And this makes God astoundingly unique. When you look at human history, all the false religions of the world have this in common. You have to do all of these things to appease the God you serve. You have to work you have to strive you have to do this this and this and then and only then will you appease this angry God. let me give you an example of that look at Isaiah 46 just a few pages over probably Isaiah 46 and we're going to look at verses 1 and 2 all the other gods say come work for me come and prove yourself to me And we see an example of that in Isaiah 46, verses 1 and 2. Bel bows down, Nebo stoops. Now, these are the names of some of the Babylonian guides, okay? Bel and Nebo. And so it says, Bel bows down, and Nebo stoops. Their idols are on beasts and livestock. So there are these these images, these statues of these these false pagan gods, and they're put upon the beasts and the livestock. These things that you carry, they're born as burdens on weary beasts. They stoop, they bow down together, but they cannot save the burden, but themselves they go into captivity. People are depending upon these Babylonian gods, Bel and Nebo, but these gods have no power. And so they end up placing their gods upon these animals and they're taken into captivity. The worshipers, instead of being saved by their gods, they have to save their gods. Instead of being carried by their gods, they have to carry their gods. There is a burden in this. And you say, well, Case, that's all good and fine and dandy, but I don't have any of these little figurines or these statues that I carry around. And I'll say to you, that is true, but there are gods that we struggle with every day. Many of us are carrying a whole host of gods and the burden is killing us. I'm referring to things that that come and replace God in our lives. Perhaps it's a job, or a house, or a car, or a relationship, or your self-image. You might get up in the morning, and you might live for your success, and you might live to be the very best at your job, and so you work around the clock. You never stop, and you, you play it off like it's no big deal, but it is ruining your life. It's destroying your family. It's making you miserable, and it is a God that you can never satisfy and you say well it's just okay I'm trying to be successful but there's so much more than that and there are some who worship and they value their things so much and they they find their whole existence in what they own if I could have this house then I would be complete. If I could have this nicer vehicle, I would be satisfied. If I could have this, that, or the other, that new basketball, it looks so good, then I would be fulfilled. And it turns into a God in your life, and it never brings satisfaction. And the world tells us that this is what makes us a winner, and so we strive after it with all of our might. And then we lay in bed at night, and we wonder is this really all there is to life? Really, is this all there is? Because I've got a nice house and I've got a a, a nice car and I've got some money in the bank, but it just seems like it's not enough. And so we're stressed out, we're overworked, we're maxed out on all sides. There's no contentment, there's no satisfaction. You've always got to have more and more and more. The gods always demand more from you. And that's the world we live in. But what, is, what does the Lord say? The verse continues. Isaiah 46, verse 3. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb. Even to your old age, I am he. Into gray hairs, what does he say? This is what I'm going to do. To gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made, and I will bear, I will carry, and will save. It's a total transformation. Bell and Nebo say, carry me, do things for me. But the Lord comes and says, I'm going to carry you. I'm going to save you. I'm going to work for you. I'm going to do things for you and your life. Jesus says it like this in Matthew 11. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Anybody just need some rest? You might just stressed out and you're going naughty and nothing? You just need some rest? Here's where you can find it. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You want to find meaning to your life? You want to find fulfillment and purpose and identity and satisfaction You'll only find those things in God. The world doesn't have it, and the world cannot give it. You say, well, Case, this is, this is kind of strange. You're, you're talking about God working for us. It sounds kind of arrogant, doesn't it? But that's just because we have a, a messed up view, like, like God needs a job, and I'm going to give him a job. That that's not the implication. What it means is simply this. It means that I am bankrupt, and I need a bailout. Amen? It means that I'm weak and I need someone who is strong. It means that I'm endangered, but I need someone to protect me. It means that I'm foolish and I need someone who is wise. I'm lost and I need a rescuer. I'm hopeless and I need someone who can offer me hope. I have no purpose and I need someone who can offer me a purpose. I'm a sinner and I need a savior. When I say that God works for me, it's the realization that I cannot do it on my own. My best is never enough. Your best is never enough. I don't care how many times you come through these doors, it's not enough. I don't care how much money you give to this church. Now keep giving it, okay? But I don't care how much money you give to this church, it's not going to be enough. I I don't care how many songs you sing or how many lessons you teach, it's never enough. We don't have enough, but he is the one who will carry us through. He will guide us. He will direct us. And when we allow him to work in and through us, you know what happens? He gets the glory. He gets the honor. He gets the praise when we realize that. It's like a weight off of our shoulders because that pride goes away. It's not about me. It's about him. Anything good that happens is because of him. Anything great that happens is because of him. It's not about me. So I don't have to go through this this work-based, uh-oh, I'm at the end of my rope, because I know that God can and God will do it. Third, last thing. I know you love to hear that, don't you? Third and last thing, what does it mean to wait upon the Lord and what is the result of it? What does it mean to wait upon the Lord? Right before Isaiah 64 is Isaiah 63. Let me, let me show you verse 11 and 12. It says, Then he remembered the days of old of Moses and his people. Where is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock? Where is he who put in the midst of them his spirit, who caused his glorious arm to go at it, At the right hand of Moses, who divided the waters before them to make for himself an everlasting name. When God revealed himself through the events, he's calling to mind the past. Think of Moses, for example. When you think of the exodus and the plagues in Egypt, the gnats and the boils and the hell and the locusts and the darkness and the eventual killing of the firstborn son... What did the people of God do? They waited. They waited upon God. They were obedient. There's going to be some obedience. They took the blood and they followed the instructions and they put it on the doorpost, but it was God who was doing the work. It was God who caused all these plagues. It was not the people of God who assembled together and said, all right, guys, here's what we're going to do. Let's put our hand to it, and let's make this happen. That didn't happen. God showed up, and God worked in a mighty and in a powerful way. And all the people had to do was be obedient to the way that God led them. They had to trust in the Lord. All right, we go a little bit further. What happens when they get to the Red Sea? Exodus 14 verse 11 they begin to complain. They say, "Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us bringing us out of Egypt? We're going to die." So they start to complain, moan and bellyache. They sound just like my kids. But then there's a response. Moses replies, and he says this, Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. Look at this. Which he will work for you today. You, you stand firm. You just trust in God because God is going to work. The same thing this message is built around. You just trust in God to work. And so God works. The water is parted, and they walk through on dry land. What do they have to do? Trust in God. What we have to do is we have to trust in God. It's not about us bringing all this stuff together. How much, even in our little church atmosphere, is based upon our talents and our abilities and what all we can bring together. And how much of it is depending upon God, waiting on him. Lord, I trust you. I know that you can do mighty and powerful things. So he says, God is going to work. He's going to act for those who will wait upon him. Now, let me just say this. Waiting is not easy. I'm not patient. I hate to wait. I hate to go to a restaurant and wait. I go somewhere else. Don't want to do it. You know, in this this time of bondage, the plagues, they had to wait for all ten of those plagues to take place. It may be in waiting for God to show his power and to act. It may be that we have to wait a few days few weeks, a few months, we might be waiting for years, but the faithful, they wait, they trust, they depend upon God. Listen, there may be something in your life that you've been praying about, and you've been saying, God, I know you can do it, I read about it, but I've been praying for so long, and it seems like you're not listening. It seems, God, like you are so far away, and your faith is starting to Diminish. I just encourage you, wait upon the Lord. His timetable is not your timetable. Wait upon him. He's got the power. He loves you. He has your best interest at heart. Trust in him. Depend upon him. All right. So the next question what if we don't? What if we don't wait upon the Lord? That's a good question. I'm glad you asked it. Let me show you that. 2 Chronicles 16, we see an example. It says, At that time, Hanai. The seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and he said to him, Because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your guide. You relied upon a king. You relied upon his power and his money and his wealth, and you did not rely upon God. Because of that, what's going to happen? The army of the king of Syria has escaped you. You lose because you did not rely upon God. Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army? with a very many chariots and horsemen, but yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. You have experienced victory in the past because you relied upon God, but now you chose to depend upon a king, and because of that, you lose. Listen to me, my friends. When we depend upon anything but God, then we lose. When we depend on our money, and a lot of us, we feel okay because we've got some money in the bank. You can't depend upon money. We might wake up in a few weeks and our money's not worth a dime. You can't depend upon money, your job, the stock market. You can't depend upon these things. Our reliance must be totally upon God. And then the verse continues and it says, For the eyes of the Lord they run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. The eyes of the Lord, they're, they're roaming to and fro. They're looking diligently. I'm not talking about passively. I mean the Lord is looking. He's looking for someone to give strong support. Does that sound familiar? That's what we're talking about. He's looking to act for those who love him. He's looking to work for those who depend upon him. And so it says he's actively looking to and fro to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. To those who are blameless, who depend upon him, he's going to work. God's not looking for you because he needs something. Some of us, we think that God is is blessed because we have so many gifts. Let Let me just be honest. God does not need you. God does not need me. There is nothing that I can bring to God. I've seen folks in church and they can just strut when they sit down. And maybe they sing a song and you can just kind of see some arrogance with it. Who do we think we are? We're we're nobody. God is searching for those who are pure before him and says, I'm going to give you strong support. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to act on your behalf. He's active and ready to work for those who are waiting upon him. We're told to wait the victorious Christian life. That we should long for is not based upon us doing better and doing more but rather it is by the work of God in and through us it it doesn't come through my effort it does not come through what I can do it comes through my dependence upon God When, when you look in your Bible you're gonna see men and women who do great things but you know what you're gonna find there's really nothing too special about them the world would say they are losers But they do great things because they trust and they depend upon God. You might look at your life and you might say, I don't have much to offer. Good. That means God can use you. God can use those who have very little to offer because then God is going to receive the glory, the honor, and the praise. God is most glorified in my life when I am most satisfied in him. Remember the greatest commandment? You remember that? Somebody comes up and says, Lord, what is the greatest commandment? And he says, this is it, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the greatest commandment. The second one's like it, love your neighbor as yourself. He said, there's so much in here I've got to do. Quit focusing on your to-do list and just love God walk in the spirit wake up tomorrow morning wake up and say lord i want to bring honor and glory to you today i want to spend time with you i want to i want to meditate on your word i want to hear from you focus on your relationship with him focus on being with him not on doing focus on being and it will change your life it it tells us in this verse god is unique he works for those who wait upon him and so i just wonder Are we waiting upon him? Let me ask you to close your eyes, bow your head. And you may be saying, in this case, I almost get it. But give me a little something else. Well, let me just show you some examples in in the New Testament. You say, man, life is tough. It seems like I can never be good enough, so I'm going to work harder. Philippians 2.13 says, it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. When you do something good, it's not even you. It's God who does it. God gives you all that you need to live a life of godliness. It says, His divine power has granted us all things pertaining to life and godliness. When you find someone who is godly, it's because the Lord made them godly. Focus in on God. God is the one who works on your behalf. God is the one who saved you. The Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom from many. God is the one who gives spiritual growth. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. God is the one who gives strength and renewal. You say, well, I've got this struggle. I'm struggling with with temptation in my life, and I'm trying really hard to do better. Do you know even that is from the Lord? 1 Corinthians, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man, but God is faithful he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. The Christian life is not about doing, but it's about being. It's about a love relationship with the Lord. So I want to ask you to focus on that, to realize the dynamics of the relationship. Maybe you're, you're here this morning and you're thinking about it and The Lord's showing you, it's not about what you do, but it's about the fact that I love you, and I gave my son for you on a cross. You could never earn it, but I give it freely. And so maybe you're here and you've never surrendered, you've never given your heart and your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, and you feel a a little tug on your heart, You, you feel a little calling to salvation I'd love to talk with you about that here in just a moment. Maybe you're looking for a church to join. This would be a great one. We'd love to have you. But maybe you're here and you say, you know what? In my life, I think I've gotten off track. I think I've focused so much on me, and I'm focused less on God. I'm focusing less on what he wants to do through me. And so maybe there needs to be a little bit of a a change in your life. To focus less on the outside and more on the inside less on what you're doing and more on who you are Lord we thank you for this time thank you for each of these in here this morning Lord I pray that you've spoken to us Lord I pray that we'll be obedient responsive any way that you lead us guide we love you Lord we thank you for all your blessings we thank you for all that you do for us may your will be done during this time in Jesus name Amen. Let me ask you to stand with us. Come pray with us. We'd love to visit with you. Have you been?